Welcome to the newest Eden Center podcast, Building Ourselves Through Parsha. Our host, Karen Miller-Jackson, will use the Parsha to explore an aspect of social, emotional, or physical well-being relevant for 21st century life and its challenges. Karen is a certified Matan Moralalacha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kivun Shirut, a guidance program for religious girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Consistent with the Eden Center's goal of enhancing women's spiritual life through Torah and Mikvah, Karen's insights, we hope, will serve as a springboard for self-introspection and discussion. Hello, everyone. Last week's podcast on Parshat Shemot highlighted the faith and commitment of various women who acted to preserve life and to create life in spite of the hardship and oppression they experienced. This week, I would like to continue this theme through the Midrash on Parshat Vayira, which characterizes the women of Israel as remaining faithful and hopeful in particular through continuing to do the mitzvah of tevilah, immersion in the mikvah, during challenging times. This idea has resonance today. For different reasons, there was and is real concern and fear around going to the mikvah during the coronavirus pandemic. After my Parsha Insights, we will hear from the wonderful Naomi Marmon Grummet, founder and director of the Eden Center, about the centrality of mikvah in our spiritual lives and about navigating the mikvah experience in these times. In Parshat Vayera, there are several instances of resistance or doubt regarding God's command. Moshe needs convincing that he can be a leader, and when he continues to express concern that he will not be able to speak well before Paro, Hashem allows Aaron to come and speak alongside him. When Moshe tells Bnei Yisrael that Hashem has heard their cries and will take them out of Mitzrayim, they don't believe him and express doubt that Hashem will redeem them. V'lo shamu el Moshe mi They couldn't listen or believe Moshe because their spirits had been crushed in slavery. Most significantly, the plagues are meant to bring Paro to acknowledge God, who repeatedly refuses to do so. In contrast, there's a fascinating Midrash which explains the first plague as a punishment for trying to stop the women of B'nai Israel from being faithful to Hashem. The Torah states that Hashem commanded Aaron to take his rod and hold out his arm over the waters of Egypt so that there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, as it says in Shemot chapter 7. The Nile was turned to blood, according to the Midrash, as midah keneged midah, an appropriate punishment, because the Egyptians refused to allow Benot Yisrael to immerse in its waters as a mikvah in an attempt to prevent them from being intimate with their husbands and from having children. Therefore, the direct punishment was that the water turned to blood. The water, which sustained life, was taken away, and the fish, which were associated with fertility, were killed. This Midrashic interpretation is further reinforced by the fact that the first plague lasted seven days, just like the seven days of Nida in the Torah, and the seven clean days before all women can go to the mikvah. In contrast to the Egyptians, the Jewish women had faith. Even if they had fears and doubts like Moshe or Bnei Israel, they overcame those fears and had faith in Hashem, faith to keep the mitzvah of Tarah HaMishpacha, and faith in the future to have children, even during times of oppression and hardship. The Halacha also addresses times when it might be dangerous or when women were fearful to go to the mikvah. Jewish law attempts to balance the value of life with times of risk involved in observing this mitzvah. While it is the halachic ideal to go to the mikvah on time, on the night after the seven clean days, Jewish law addresses potential exceptions to this rule. The Gemara, 
and the Shulchan Aruch discuss times when there would be a real danger posed to women to go out at night. The Talmud mentions cases such as water, which would be too cold at night, thieves, dangerous gatekeepers who might attack the women, or wild lions. All of these are considered a threat which should allow a woman to go to the mikvah in the daytime on the eighth day instead. In extenuating circumstances today, poskim have permitted women to go to the mikvah at the end of the seventh day. However, this would require permission from a halachic authority. During the last few months, I have received questions, as have my colleagues, from women who had real fears about going to the mikvah due to coronavirus. Especially in the beginning, this was a source of significant concern. They felt relief at having women to talk to about the experience of mikvah. Some women had high-risk medical concerns, adding to the danger of going to the mikvah. I was thankful to the Eden Center for useful resources and guidelines, which I could send to women to help them through this process. Of course, there were also the dangers posed to the mikvah attendants, coming into close contact with many women each night. This all highlighted the strength and commitment of women and couples to Taharat HaMishpacha and mikvah, just like the women in Egypt. These sources and experiences attest to the firm and unwavering commitment of Jewish women throughout history who have continued to go to the mikvah and keep Tarah HaMishpacha even under challenging circumstances. May these brave women continue to be a source of strength and inspiration to us as we navigate our observance of mikvah today. Chodesh Tov and Shabbat Shalom. Today, we'll be speaking with Dr. Naomi Marmon Grummet, who is the founder and director of the Eden Center. Her sociological research was the source of inspiration toward implementing change in the field of mikvah and how we learn about it. She is passionate about making the mikvah experience better, about advocating for women's health and well being, and enabling the mikvah to serve as a platform for women's empowerment in their personal and sexual lives. Hi, Naomi. Thank you so much for joining us. It's particularly special to have you here on the Building Ourselves podcast of the Eden Center. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure as a weekly listener to be able to contribute. So much of your work revolves around the mikvah at the Eden Center. Uh, as a Morala Halacha myself, one of the things which has been incredible is to see the commitment of women and couples to mikvah and tarat mishpacha. Why do you think this is such a treasured mitzvah for religious Jews? So that's really interesting. I would want to start by saying that even though this is a really important mitzvah, I'm not sure that everybody experiences it as treasured. And I think there are a lot of women and couples who have a very hard time and find going to the mikvah not an easy thing to do. And I want to recognize that because even though there are people who are committed to it, they don't always feel it as treasured. And I really appreciate the commitment that people show, even when it's not easy. With that being said, Tarat HaMishpacha and going to the mikvah are really one of the three pillars of commitment to Jewish life. And each of these three, Shabbat, Kashrut, and Tarat HaMishpacha, show in a different way how we sanctify our actions and we really express through what we do our commitment to God and being in a special covenant with him, in a, a brit. Shabbat does that through sanctifying our time. Kashrut does that by our sanctifying and 
what we ingest, our food, our whole being around you know, what we put into our bodies. And I think that Tarat HaMishpacha and Mikvah sanctify our intimacy and our marital relationship in a special way and really put them in the context of this is part of my commitment, part of my going in the path of Torah and uh, being dedicating my life to uh, being in the covenant with God is that my body and the actions that I do with my body and my sexuality will also be in that context. What I find extremely interesting is while on the one hand, we're dedicating our relationship in a way that brings Kedusha, um, going to the mikvah is sort of the flip side of that in that the mikvah symbolizes God's acceptance of our body and our sexuality as we are. The water of the mikvah embraces and enwraps us. The water of the mikvah accepts every single woman who comes in. It doesn't matter what you look like, how heavy or how thin you are. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what you do. Each of us enters the mikvah the same way. And we all have to remove the physical barriers between our bodies and the water. We all have to remove chatzitzot. In exact, the water welcomes us and the warm water enwraps our body when we enter the mikvah. And that, in a sense, is God's way of saying, I love you and I accept you and I want your commitment. And that is the flip side of the kedusha that we instill is God's acceptance of that. And I think it's so beautiful. Um, on another level, the whole idea of mikvah and keeping Tarat HaMishpacha connects us to our bodies. It connects us to our cycles. It connects us to femininity and feminine things about ourselves. And in a very tangible way, also uh, connects us and puts us in sync with different needs in our relationship. And on a communal level, the mikvah represents the strongest community of women. We all come to the mikvah. Every woman immerses in that water. Every woman, no matter who she is or what she does, comes and it brings us together. And even more than that, it connects communities of women across space and time in a way that nothing else does. Yes, that's really beautiful and really, really powerful and inspiring. Thank you. So in this week's podcast, um, I highlight the women's commitment to the mitzvah of Tarat HaMishpacha and in particular to mikvah. Today, the mikvah has become a source of anxiety for some women who naturally are concerned that the mikvah is another source of catching COVID-19. In your work as the founder of the Eden Center, what have been the biggest challenges to women during this time and what have been some of the solutions that you've suggested? I think, as you say, many women are actually concerned that they don't want the mikvah to be the source of contagion or spread of COVID. And uh, we have done everything that we can as an organization to make sure that guidelines are clear, both to mikvah attendants and to women who are going to the mikvah. We've also brought the head of infectious disease at the Ministry of Health to speak to mikvah attendants, and he gave a webinar for women 
on how to ensure, and he really did assure us that if the guidelines are followed, the mikveh is safe. But I think it's incumbent upon all of us to make sure that we're wearing masks and keep social distancing. Mikvah attendants that I've come in contact with really are being careful that the water should be chlorinated properly and to clean in between women. Um, but I think it's fair for each of us, and especially in Israel, I think it's sort of incumbent upon us to be aware and to be advocates all the time so that if we do see a mikvah attendant or another woman at the mikvah who isn't wearing her mask all the way over her nose and mouth, that we could say something respectfully, like it would make me feel a lot more comfortable if your mask would fully cover your nose and mouth because I want the mikvah to feel safe. Um, you know, and I think also if you were to see a friend at the mikvah who happened to be there on the same night. This is not the time or place to be giving her a hug. We all are equally responsible for keeping the mikvah safe. I really want to give a shout out to all the mikvah attendants who I know are working so hard to keep the mikvah the kind of space that we want. And we're in touch with mikvah attendants from Australia and England and the United States and obviously in Israel. And they really do know that they're working very, very hard um, in that sense. I think actually one of the important things to raise at this point is the question of can a woman go to the mikvah when she's in quarantine? I've seen so many questions of the, about this and been directed so many questions. And especially it's so difficult if it's the woman's last night or the second to last night when she has to be in isolation and she wants to go. Although it's, I think it's equally difficult if you're just going into isolation and you know you you have your second night in isolation is going to be the mikvah night. Uh, it feels like I, I was out yesterday. Why can't I just go to the mikvah? But I think both for mikvah attendants to know that they're not allowed to let somebody come in and for women who are using the mikvah to know that the mikvah has to remain a safe space, a safe communal space where everybody is protected. And therefore, if you have fever or if you have other symptoms or if you have to be in isolation, because honestly, isolation is about making sure that you don't have it and that you don't spread it inadvertently to others. So I really feel for women who say, but it's just because my son is too young to be in isolation by himself and his teacher has it. He doesn't have it. So I'm with him in isolation. And it's terrible and it feels horrible to not be able to go to the mikvah on time. And yet, at this point, that's what we have to do. We have to protect ourselves and we have to protect the rest of the community. And I think, you know, you sort of have to look at it in, there are two important mitzvot here. One is the mitzvah of going to the mikvah and the other is the mitzvah of pikuach nefesh. And whereas we usually try not to push off mikvah night, in this particular case, the mitzvah of pikuach nefesh and even the possibility that you might have con contracted or somebody in your family might have contracted and we could spread it is really not fair. If you think about somebody else coming to the mikvah who maybe has, but she doesn't think so because she's only in isolation, you know, would you be upset if somebody else passed it on to you because she was about to get out of isolation? I think we all would be very upset by that. But thank God this is not a permanent state. And really women have to understand that, but we don't want to expose anybody else. So we don't want to expose the mikvah attendant. We don't want to expose, you know, the space of the mikvah to it. And even if it's really difficult to be that person who has to go into quarantine 
the day before she has to go to the mikvah, thank God this is not a permanent thing, but we need to protect you and everybody else. And yes. I think it's yeah. most difficult for the mikvah attendants. Definitely. I actually have received this question in a number of different ways um, over the past few months as well. And, and I know my colleagues have as well. And one of the things that I found helpful to say on occasion was, well, you know, I know it's really hard, but think about if, you know, you were going that night and someone who was supposed to be in isolation or was on just the last day of be dude of isolation came in and that really helped. These are not simple times. Uh, <laughs> they aren't. And you know what? The whole question of intimacy at this time is not easy either. And when everybody's at home all the time, mikvah night's not so easy either. So during this time, uh, the mikvah has really come to be discussed more publicly. Uh, at the same time, we all learned in kala classes and we teach about uh, the fact that the mikvah, the, the really more the, the, the minhag, the custom, the mikvah should be kept private and somewhat secret. Um, do you believe this is an integral part of keeping this mitzvah? And what are the disadvantages of uh, hiding mikvah observance? And also what we might, what might we gain from being more open about it? Um, so this is certainly the custom that has come about um, in Ashkenaz, as opposed to in Sephardi communities. Ashkenazi communities are much more um, careful about not sharing. And in Sephardi communities, that's not the case. And I think that there is something to learn from the mixing of cultures within Judaism about the specific aspect that I do actually think that there is benefit in not being quite so secret. So obviously we want to keep our intimate lives private and we don't want to share with our children um, you know, and publicly pronounce, you know, I am now going to be intimate. On the other hand, it's part of life. It's part of the cycle of life. It's normal. You know, nobody, none of us would be here if it weren't for husbands and wives who love each other and want to have children together. Um, and that about the question of whether we should be sharing our intimacy or we should have, you know, some kind of discussion. There's no busha at all in women in the community knowing that you're going to be ethnic, but even though people feel, oh, that it's a statement that I'm going to be intimate. Again, I don't think it's such a, a terrible thing for people to know in general. Nobody's going to know exactly what you are doing or are not doing. But in terms of our children, which is where I think the bigger question is, how do we educate our children? And I do think that it's important to share and be less secretive about mikvah for two reasons, vis-a-vis um, -vis our children. One is because if we want our children to feel commitment in today's day and age where there are so many choices and there are so many values and there are so many things that we see, if we want our children to feel connected to something, we have to show that it's an important value for us. They may rebel against us in lots of different ways, um, but they will know that it is part of our lives. And that is one thing that I think is important for us to um, to share so that it is not something that is... <laughs> sort of crazy and out there and only other people do that. And that is not really part of my uh, practice and existence. That's number one. And number two, I think there are plenty of healthy ways that we can raise it with children without making it a discussion of sexuality. The Torah says that a woman at the end of her period has to go to the mikvah. It doesn't say it, yes, it also says she has to go to the mikvah um, in order to be intimate with her husband. Mm -hmm. But 
it's the mitzvah like any others that at the end of your period, again, it's not um, something that we have to be embarrassed about. It's not something that we have to decide, even though culturally there are lots in Western culture in general, there are lots of things that say, you know, don't share that. Um, but it's positive for our children to know that this is part of our life. So we can explain it in that context from when our children are young. Um, and then if we do that, it becomes a matter of fact. I had my period. I'm going to the mikvah. Yeah, end of story. Many children do not in any way connect it with um, intimacy and sexuality unless they're specifically told that there is such a connection. And even so, it's good for us for many in many families when there's less physical intimacy during the time of nidah. So it's also important for children to understand we're not in a fight. <laughs> it's not that we don't love each other. The Torah says that a woman and a that a woman who has her period, there are certain things that she cannot see. One of the things that we follow is that we don't touch or we don't hug during this time, not because we don't want to, but because we're Torah observant Jews and this is what we do. Um, and I think it actually helps children a lot to know that as a framework. And then this is just the fact, after I go to the mikvah, I will be giving your father a hug, you know, after, or, you know, we will, you'll see us hugging and kissing more. It is not that our love has increased tenfold, it is that we are now able to express it in a physical way and not just verbally. Um, so yes. I think it's good. Um, and I and I think that for many people, the the act of hiding going to the mikvah ends up being another strain and it doesn't mm -hmm. enhance their experience. So it, it's a very fine balance. Um, everybody has to decide how much they're comfortable with, but hiding it to the degree that we hide it is not always positive. And perhaps all of the conversation that has um, come out as a result of COVID could actually be a positive thing. Also for you know expressing our voice and what we want and how mikvah could be a better experience for all of us. Definitely. And that's exactly one of the things I was thinking about, especially as I was looking at the rabbis of the Midrash openly talking about Benot Yisrael, the women in Egypt, um, going to the mikvah and talking about it openly in a way uh, provides us that opportunity. And yes, perhaps this is one of the silver linings, one of the ways we can uh, find good uh, during a challenging time. And so I really want to thank you for all of your amazing work and for joining us today. Thanks so much. Thank you, thank you for being a partner in that and for bringing <laughs> us the weekly Parsha podcast, which is amazing. And starts off Shabbat right every single week. Oh, thanks so much. And Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>